Morning, church. Morning, saints. Morning, sinners. It's always important to know our position before our Lord and Savior, who is full of truth and grace. This morning, again, we're starting our new series on B, Who and What Am I Becoming? Be Like Jesus. Our first is to talk about love. Uh, There was a man who had a really, really bad heart attack. He he was on his deathbed. He, He was just this close, as they say, to passing away. And he was there in the hospital, and his wife was there in the room with him, and the doctor came in and said, Ma'am, I need to talk to you alone. And so they went outside for a while, and the doctor said, I just want you to really comprehend how close your husband was to dying, and that it's going to take some really special care over the next few months. When he gets up in the morning... You're to greet him and wake him tenderly and quietly. Don't don't surprise him. And you need to to care for his every need. At at lunch, at at breakfast, you need to have, uh, you know, fruit and and whole wheats. And and you need to take good care of him. And at lunchtime, you you need to, before his lunch, you, you need to give him a full body massage. And every day, you need to just cater to him and at at lunchtime you you need to you need to give him a really healthful meal and then after lunch you you when you talk to him don't don't talk to him about how the bills need to be paid or something wrong with the car don't don't stress him at all just talk about good things and fine things and at dinner time make sure it's one of his favorite meals and make sure he gets into to bed and make sure he's always comfortable if you want him to live she said, okay. She went back into the room and she sat down behind, beside her husband in a small voice, weak voice. He said, honey, what did the doctor say? And she looked over at tender eyes, loving eyes and said, you're going to die. <laughs> Love. Love. One of the most important things as Christians. Our key question this morning is, what does it mean to sacrificially and unconditionally love? Our key idea is that I'm committed to loving God and to loving others. Boy, that rolls right off the tongue like it's easy, but it's not, is it? It comes with its challenges. Our key verse this morning is 1 John 4, 10 and 12. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Now, before I jump off into my sermon, I want you to take a look at this. He says, it's not love like you love God. It's like God loving you. Well, wait a minute. What's the difference? Well, there's a huge difference. You see, Don, I, I love God because he provides everything for me. It's somewhat of a self-centered love because I know that he's doing things for me all the time, right, Micah? 
that I'm dependent on him. And just like a child, it's, it's really easy to love someone that you're dependent upon, right? God says, no, 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 that's, that's not the, that's not the, John says, that's not the love we're really talking about. What the real love I'm talking about, the, the love I'm talking about is unconditional love. You see, like the Father had for us. See, God doesn't need us, yet he loves us. It's an unconditional love that's sacrificial. Do you get that? He doesn't need us, but he loves us anyway, and it's a sacrificial love. It love it's a love that costs. Why? Because God is love. You see, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have always been and always will be and they've always been in, in this encircling love dance, as you might say, of loving each other and glorifying each other. And God created us, and he wants, he wants to invite us into this dance of love where we might glorify each other, and we might love each other for eternity. And he provides a way for us to do that. That's the kind of love that he calls us to. Our outline is love defined, the greatest commandment, a new command, and examples of love. Well, a love defined. No other scripture does a better job of talking about the definition of love than in 1 Corinthians. Sometimes you hear it just 1 Corinthians read, 1 Corinthians 13 read. But I'd really like to start, I, I think the guy who divided this up into chapters did it wrong. And really what I'd like to do is start with the last verse in, in 12 and then read to the first verse in 14. Now Paul's been talking about, in verse 12, he's been talking about all these spiritual gifts, Okay? And then he wants to tell you about the best spiritual gift. Verse 31. I'm sorry. Yes, verse 31. But now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. If I could speak in the language of earth and of angels, but do not love others, I would be a noisy gong. Or a clanging symbol. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secrets, plans, and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but did not love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor, and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I did not have, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. And it keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. 
prophecies and speaking in unknown, unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless. But love, love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like a puzzling reflection in a mirror. But when we see everything with perfect clarity, all that I know is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Let your highest goal be love. The greatest command. What is the greatest command? It's given to us in the Old Testament. You see, Moses has just read off the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy 5. And now... He's going to condense them all down with one command. O oh, Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And then he goes about telling them to take it wherever they go. As they walk along the paths, as they get up in the morning, as they lie down, to strap it to their hands and strap it to their foreheads. Remember the love of God. <coughs> then Jesus comes along and he gives us a new command found in John 13. He says, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Well, it was a lot easier, Rick, loving God with all my heart and all soul and mind, okay? And now I've got to love you all. That's a little more challenging, right? But it's still pretty easy because you all reciprocate my love. And, and so we have a little tougher command come along from Christ. This one even gets more challenging. It's challenging enough, I know, to love Keith with all his warts and imperfections. But now look what Jesus says. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. It's talking about that love that John was telling us about. You know that love of the Father that had for us? He's calling us to join in that love and having that love for our enemies. You see, God loved you, Mike, when you were imperfect. Sacrificially, he loved you. Even though at one time or another, some part of our life, we have been enemies of God, right? And yet he still loved us. Now he calls us to participate in this godly love and love our enemies. Wow, 
that's hard. That's difficult. Right now, John, if you're me, you're thinking about those guys you really don't want to love. Yeah, some of you are thinking about ISIS or, or people in the past that you've fought against the Nazis. Maybe those are rolling around in your mind. Or maybe it's a little more personal. It's that person at work who wants to put you down, put you in your place, always throwing the fiery darts at you. Now it's a little harder, right? It's a little more personal. And that's the kind of love that God is calling us to have. Love for our enemies. So let's look at some examples of love. I picked out one story in particular. I love this story. It's the story of Jonathan. Both in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, you see this great love between two friends. We'll start at the beginning. David has just killed Goliath. This ruddy shepherd boy has come out of nowhere and killed a great giant. And Jonathan is in awe of this young shepherd boy. And he wants to know him. He wants to become his friend. Look at this scripture with me. And David, had, and David, after finishing talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with him. And he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his own family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off his robe he was wearing and he gave it to David. He's wearing this, this royal prince robe and he gives it to David along with his tunic and even his sword and his bow and his belt. He just disrobes and gives everything over to David. You see, love seeks equality and to honor. Love is always seeking equality and honor. When he first walked up, when David first walked up, don't you imagine Jonathan saw this ruddy, probably lowly dressed shepherd boy, poor, haired, disheveled. I mean, that's what he did all day. He was a shepherd out with the sheep. When he first saw him, he probably didn't think anything of him. But now he loves him. And because he loves him, he wants to give some of what he has to David. He wants to share what he has. And not only does he want to share and have equality with him, he wants to honor him. So he takes off the royal robe and he puts it on David. Folks, love is always seeking to share. Love is always seeking to honor each other. There's not Jew nor Gentile. There's neither male nor female. There's neither free or slave. We are all what? One in Christ. Well, this great parade of 
of winning over the Philistines and conquering their enemies starts its way back home. And on the way back home, unfortunately, on the side of the road, there are people chanting. And some of these people are chanting. Saul has killed their thousands, and David has killed their what? Ten thousands. Whoa. David just got more Facebook likes than Saul did. And now popularity belongs, popularity is starting to belong to David. And Saul can't stand it. He's envious. He can't stand that now David seems more popular than him. This ruddy little kid is getting more popular than he is, more attention than he is. And from that day, Saul started hating David for it. But not Jonathan. Jonathan loved David. Because of some verses later on, it's evident to me that Jonathan realized that the Lord was with David from a very early start and that he would not die but be king. But look at what Scripture says here. Saul told his son, Jonathan, and all the attendants to kill David. But Jonathan had taken a great liking to David and had warned him, My father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow. Go into hiding and stay there. You see, love always warns and always protects. Love is always worried about the other person and protecting the other person. And I find this amazing, okay, on Jonathan's behalf for loving David the way he does and trying to protect him the way he was because Jonathan had something in the game, right? If Saul was to die by worldly measure, who would take the throne eventually? Jonathan. But by protecting David, Jonathan is giving up his limelight, his time to be king. You see, he loved him and was seeking equality with him, and he protects him. Why? Because he loved him. Because he had that godly love. That love that is not self-centered. You see, if Jonathan would have been like Keith and been self-centered, he would have said, you know, um, see you over at dad's place later on. And got him killed. Because we tend to be what? Self-centered. We tend to think about self first, but love doesn't. Love warns. Love protects. Well, fast forward a few years, and Jonathan and his father dies in a battle. David is now king. And David, David is coming to his own, and he is in power in the palace and has prestige, and everything that he ever wanted now is at David's hands. But yet, David is still loyal. Listen, is there anyone left to the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? 
the king asked, is there anyone still alive from the house of Saul whom I can show God's kindness? Do you see that? God's kindness. Not man's kindness, God's love, God's kindness. That kind of kindness that doesn't seek anything in return. And there's this guy there named Zeba. And Zeba says, oh yeah, there is a son of Jonathan, but he's a cripple. Both legs. And he lives over there in Lodabar. Lodabar. That means without pasture, without fruit. What he's saying is he lives over there in that trashy side of town that nobody likes to talk about. Nobody wants to go there. And he's crippled. And you really don't, what he's saying backhandedly is you really don't want this guy at your table. And David says, you go get him. And David goes and gets, or excuse me, and they go get Mephibosheth. David, there's a name to name your child if you want him to grow up tough, right? He's going to get kicked around. You can call him Sue or Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth comes into the room at David, and I, I don't know how he's there, okay? Because he's a cripple, but he bows down before David. And it looks like, by the way the scripture reads here, that he's maybe shaking or trembling, thinking something terrible is going to happen. And David says, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David says, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore you and the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul. And you will always eat at my table. You see, love is always loyal. Love always restores. David writes in his psalm, the everlasting love of God, right? Over and over. You can't help but pick up the psalms and read about the everlasting love of the Father. And David is trying to practice godly love. And he's being loyal to Jonathan. To the, to the promises and to the covenant that he had with Jonathan. Jonathan's gone. And Jonathan can't hold him to this covenant. But he wants to fulfill the covenant that he made with Jonathan to take care of his family, and he does, at all cost to himself, with no reward. David gets nothing out of this. He's just loyal. He's called faithful. Right? Love is faithful. And then David gives him all this land. You see, he's living in a trashy place that has no pasture or no fruit it's just out in the wilderness and he brings him back and he restores him he gives him his grandfather's land folks he did not have to do that at all he does it out of love he restores Mephibosheth's family's name that's love Jesus seeks equality and honor in John 15, 15, he says, I no longer call you servants because servants don't know what's going on with his master. 
See, the master doesn't share his grand plan, Don, with servants, but he does friends. He says, I call you friends because you know why I'm here and you know what I'm doing. And because of that, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. Boy, that in and of itself is quite an honor to be called the friend of Christ. 2 Timothy 2 and 12 says that we'll reign with him. That we'll be co-heirs in this kingdom with him. 1 John 4 and 17 says, In this world, we're like Jesus. You see the equality that he's bringing in, the sharing of the love, the sharing in the authority that he gives us, and the honor. In Galatians 3 and 27, he says, For all of you, who were baptized into Christ, have been clothed, have clothed yourself with Christ. What he's saying here is that we, this imperfect, flawed people with all of our warts and imperfections, here we are. And here Christ is. And we are clothed with Christ. And when God looks down on us, he doesn't see us anymore, David, with our warts and our imperfections. What he sees is Christ. And that honors us. And now when God looks down, we are perfect because he's looking at the perfect lamb. Number two, Jesus warns and protects. You know, a lot of people want to tell you that being Christians is all pixie dust and butterflies and rainbows. Well, that's not the picture that Jesus gives. He, he warns us to be careful. People are going to arrest you. People are going to judge you. People are going to drag you into the synagogues and beat you. It's not going to be easy to be a Christian. Sometimes it's going to be tough. <coughs> John 15 and 18 says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Jesus said, hey, you ever become disturbed at people hating you for being one of my followers? Don't let that bother you. They hated me first. And God, the Father, God, the Son, protects with God the Spirit. 2 Timothy 1 and 14. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Now, it is the word of God. It is the gospel. It is the understanding of salvation. That's what the Holy Spirit is going to help guard. No, I'm not saying that trucks are not going to smash into cars and kill people. I'm not saying there's not going to be train wrecks. I'm not saying that someday you're not going to receive a pink slip. I'm not saying that someday the doctor may sit across from you and say, it's terminal. Those things are going to happen. But the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is going to guard your hearts and your minds to keep this hope alive inside of you. Number three, 
Jesus is loyal. He tells us in John 14, 18, I will not leave you as orphans. He says in Matthew 28, 20, And surely I am with you always to the very end of this age. Christ wants you to remember that he, his love endures forever. If you turn over to Psalms 136, he says it over and over and over again. The love of God endures forever. He is faithful. He is loyal to the end. God wishes to restore us. And you can't help but read Ephesians 1 and see that, that God has this great plan to restore us, to adopt us, to redeem us with Christ's blood, to lavish his grace on us, to redeem us and make him our, to make us his possession. Isn't that a beautiful thought? I am God's possession. Isn't that love? Unconditional love? So you're thinking to yourself maybe, well, what does all this love really look like? Well, this love looks like a father sitting on a front porch looking for his children to come home. You know, those children who've taken all their money and squandered it in riotous living. Those children who have gone away and become addicted to chemicals. Those children who have lived in, let's just be honest, have lived in prostitution. Maybe physical prostitution or maybe it's mental prostitution, selling themselves out for a job or power or prestige or title or popularity. He's looking, he's sitting on this front porch and he's looking for his children to come home. Watching and waiting. But while he was still a long ways off, this child... His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him and he ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. But the father said to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Quick, honor him. Give him security with the robe. Put a ring on his finger. I want him to identify with me and my kingdom now. I want him to have the prestige and the honor of wearing the family ring. Put a ring on his finger, finger and sandals on his feet. I want to make his life's walk as easy as possible. Yeah, he's going to step on stones and hard places and rough places through his life, but I want to make it easy on him as easy as possible. Put, put some sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf, kill it. Lest have a feast and celebrate. You see, 
The Father wants us to have life and have it to the full. He wants us to enjoy life. For the Son of Mine was dead and is now alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Where are you this morning? Are you with the Father in the Father's house? Or are you out there somewhere participating in the worst living of all? If you are, the Father is still watching and waiting. A book was written one time and asked the question, will God run? The answer is yes. He'll run to you and he'll wrap his arms around you. And he'll adore you with kisses and gifts because that's the love of God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Lord, we're in amazement at your love, how you protect us and how you honor us, how you give us good gifts and you share so much with us. Help us to take on these qualities of love with others. Help us to be love as you are love. Guide us and guard us as we take on this challenge to be like your son. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know where you are this morning in your journey in life. These front pews are open. Elders, if you don't mind, go ahead and stand up and make your way to the back. These men, these elders, love and care for you. If you need to have a prayer said for you or for maybe someone in your family or a loved one, they're here to help you with that or any spiritual need that you might have this morning. May the grace of of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.